supernatural. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want to talk about the gifts of God. And uh, this is kind of an introduction message to a few weeks of talking about the gifts of God. There's so many gifts that it'll just take a while. I see that my pages get longer for my sermon, so I don't I don't know what we'll do here. But I want to talk about it. I I I would like for you to kind of join me this morning if you would open your Bibles to Ecclesiastics. It's kind of a different book that we haven't talked about for a lot, a long time. Well, ever maybe. So if you just kind of open your Bible in the middle and go to the right, a couple of books, <laughs> then you'll be at Ecclesiastics. So I'm going to just give you a moment to get there. I, I would like for you to join me because I'd like, to, I'd like for you to see it in the written text. The book of Ecclesiastics follows the thoughts of the wisest man in the Word of God, save Jesus. And so as we go to this book of Ecclesiastics, we're going to find out that this is a, a book that was written while uh, Solomon uh, was a little disappointed with life. And he was uh, on a path of, of uh, you know, a distance from God. And so when we look at this, we're going to have that in mind. In chapter 2, Solomon looks at the personal pleasures, and he calls it mirth. And um, when we look at the meaning of mirth, it means uh, amusement, means entertainment, it means laughter, and he muses on the works that he's done in his life. He, he built a lot of houses, uh, big houses, important houses. He built orchards and vineyards, and he had many, many servants and multitudes of cattle. He gathered silver and gold. He had singers and music and laughter. But he says it's all madness. And it's all folly. It's all foolishness. And it made me think about where we are today and what the enemy has done with COVID-19. He has separated the body of Christ from his house. And so, and there's all this entertainment going on. And all through the Old Testament, they had wars. And then and when the war was over, you can read it in the Old Testament, God says, okay, assemble yourselves together because the warfare can only be fought in the body of Christ when we're together and when we're strengthened, you know, as we're together. And so uh, Solomon, he's looking for something. He's had everything. He's had all the wealth of the world. He's had all the power of God. He's the wisest of all men. And all of a sudden, he begins to want mirth. He wants to be entertained. He, he wants laughter. But when it's all over, he says it's just madness. And isn't that where our world is today? Chapter 2 comes to a close in verse 26. And he says, for God giveth. This is a gift. For God giveth to man what is good in his sight. 
Okay, what do you think is good in God's sight? It's right there in this passage of Scripture. Do you see it? Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. These are the things that cannot be purchased. You cannot purchase it. It takes the study of God's Word. It takes having knowledge of God. It takes having the joy of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So the, the gifts of God are so, they're so magnified uh, forever. In Pentecostalism, we talk about the Holy Spirit, the tongues, and the interpretation, and that's what we hear so much about. But the gifts of God right there in the Old Testament, right in the myth, midst of the madness of folly, that Solomon sees, he says, these, these are what God gave to us. He gave us wisdom, he gave us knowledge, and he gave us joy. If all that's ever we have, we have the greatest gifts that God could give to us. And so, verse chapter 3, Solomon lingers on the purpose of the seasons. Everybody knows that. A season to die, a season to live, a season to weep. And he lingers on the purposes of, of life and death and the purpose of mankind. And chapter 3 and verse 14, he says this most powerful passage of scripture. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that man should fear before him. That's a strong scripture for the revisions, isn't it? It says, nothing can be put to it, nothing can be taken from it. What God does is perfect. There's little fear of God. It says, God doeth this that men should fear him. There is a lack of fear of God in the earth today. It's not just in the world, but it's in the church world too. Because God wants to have a reverence in his people. And the fear of God uh, in our day is corrupt. Uh, it's, you know, corruption is imminent. Our government is corrupt. Everything that is going on in our earth is corrupt. Television is corrupt. It used to have a censorship. How many know there's no censorship? And you have to, your children are given computers at school. That's entertainment. They know that they're going to see instead of hear the teacher teach. And uh, they have to put locks on it to keep kids out of things that comes over the airwaves. I mean, we're in a, we're in a, a, a situation in our world today that is fast approaching the coming of the Lord because we haven't seen the worst. You might think we've seen the worst. We haven't seen the worst. But we know that we're ebbing towards the coming of the Lord. And I want us to just think on this today. He says, you know, Whatever God does is perfect. You can't put anything to it. You can't take anything away. You know, there has got to be a fear of God in the earth. And there's little fear of God, not only in the world. There's no fear of God in the world. And there's very little fear of God in the church world today. God is to be revered. He's to be obeyed. And if I could just put it in the simple vernacular give him the best you got you know we there are certain things that go on in our life and we want to be the best and we work at being the best but when it comes to god 
We've got to do our best because that's what God requires of us. We might ask the purpose of this book since Solomon was straying a distance away from God. And why is this book canonized? Why is this book in the Bible? It has the most powerful purpose because it shows the fallacy of earthly sins. It shows the fallacy of the pleasures of this world. It shows the fallacies of the, of the chief pursuits of life. We pursue life sometimes more than we pursue the power and the presence of God. And on the day of Pentecost, there was a burning sensation of the fire of God that came. And we've had revivals since then. You notice that revivals come and they go. Sometimes they're on fire and then they're not on fire. But what God is desiring of his people today is that there's an even keel of the power and the presence of God. And it doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. It doesn't fluctuate. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I never want God to fluctuate. I want God to be the same. I want to know that he's there for me no matter the circumstances. So this book is a powerful purpose. It teaches us, you know, the life and the death. It teaches us our labor. It teaches us what to what to ask of God. So uh, Solomon muses over this. In Ecclesiastic chapter 4, it gets really hot. He says, so I returned and considered all the oppressions. Do you feel oppressions in the earth today? Do you feel the oppressions of the satanic forces? I don't want to give the devil any credit. But I want to say to the church today that we have to become warriors to push against the oppressions of the, uh, of the powers of darkness. So, he, so Solomon says, well, I returned and I considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such were oppressed and they had no comforter. It says the o- oppressor was more powerful than the godly people. And they had no comfort. Can you? I, I was just amazed to see. I've read that and read that and read that. But all of a sudden, I see that is where our earth is today. There is no comfort. That's why the world is on a, on a speed dial to get something that they don't know what they want when they don't understand that it's God that they need. So he says, under the sun, and I beheld the tears of such that were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power. But they had no comforter. This is Old Testament church. They had no comforter. Now, occasionally there was a comfort. Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, what? They comfort me. And if you read Psalm 119, David says, I I am comforted by the word of God. But it's not the same as the comforter that lives in us. It was a momentarily comfort that came when they came into the word. It was a momentary comfort when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But God says, and the word says here, that the oppressors were more powerful than God in this passage of scripture. This is what Solomon was thinking. And then he said, but there is no comforter. We hear this same lament in Jeremiah. If you've ever read the book of Lamentations, Lamentation 116, he says, For this I weep, 
My eye runneth down with water because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. And my children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. This is where our world is today, church. And it is up to the church of Jesus Christ to arise to the occasion to have a fresh move of God, a fresh anointing that will be stabilized, that will not waver up and down, but will be, but will be stable, will not fluctuate, will not be moved. You know, we used to sing that song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And yet we've been moved. But God wants us to be like that. He wants us to not be moved by the circumstances, not be moved by the trouble that we see, not be moved by the wickedness, not be moved by those kinds of things. And uh, Jeremiah wept. Jeremiah suffered. And he said, you know, there was no comforter to relieve my soul. Can you imagine how that would be? You go through a trial, you go through a tribulation, you go through a heartache, and there would be no comforter. See, we don't realize that we make it through because the comforter is there. You know, we take for granted that the comforter is helping us and pushing us on and keeping us to, helping us to survive. But they had no comforter in the Old Testament. Only occasionally they were comforted by something. But God's greatest gift to mankind, and it, he is, it is the greatest gift of all, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. With Jesus came the gift of not perishing. How many ever felt like in the midst of a trial you might perish? And you, and you feel like, oh, God, help me, because I surely will not make it through this trial. But you know what? As we talk about our lives here, 80, 90 years, we see that we survived because God was our comfort in the time of the oppression. And perhaps we recognize it, perhaps we didn't. But the greatest gift was Jesus that God gave to us. And I'm not telling the church anything they don't know, but, the same, but Jesus brought the gift of salvation. We all are, we, I, probably everyone here is born again and everyone has experienced this salvation, but it's a gift of God. It's part of the gift of God, not just the Holy Spirit, but it is the gift of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, you know, the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life. These are scriptures that we've quoted as, since we were children. But the day is upon us when we are going to have to recognize the power of God's gifts in our life. When Jesus sent his beloved son, you know, there was no comfort. It was only a fluctuating comfort that we got on occasion. But now the Bible says in John fourteen fifteen, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father. You know, sometimes we can't, we have not the energy to pray. We go through a trial, a tribulation, and we think, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I covered this and I asked God for help and on and on go this. And so then we just lay silent. But that's when Jesus prays the Father for us. And the scripture says, and he will give you a comforter, the gift of comfort, that he may abide with us forever. 
And we know this, but let's just breathe on it afresh. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot see this. The world does not understand what's going on today because they don't know God. But we know him, the Bible says in this passage of scripture says, but you know him and he dwelleth in you and he and he shall be in you. And verse 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. No matter what's on the horizon, no matter what you see in our world, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I don't know about you, but this is the beginning, the intro to the message to the gifts of God. He sent his son. He sent salvation. He sent comfort to the body of Christ. In the Old Testament, the saints lamented. There was no comfort. They, 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 their soul was in anguish. Psalm 23, though, says, I rod and I staff, they comfort me. But now he lives in us, and the comfort is inward and surrounds us. Have you felt that comfort when you were in need? Did you go through a trial or a tribulation? Now you look back and you think, wow, how did I make it through? Because in the midst of it, you didn't recognize that you were making it through, but you were making it through because the gift of God was comforting you and speeding you on through your trial and tribulation. There's so much more about the Holy Ghost and the Holy the Holy Spirit of God than we have ever realized when we just, you know, hone it down, talk about it, and find it everywhere in Scripture, the power of the comfort of God. You know, God's comfort is so much better than the law. I'll, all last year, I talked and talked and talked to the church about read the Old Testament. See what they suffered under the law. They could not obey the law. You know that's hard today. We, we have a difficult time just staying straight with God, don't we? I mean, you know, when trials and tribulations come, there's a little bit of doubt. Now, I know you don't doubt, but. Sometimes I get there. And, you know, you you get into hard places and you wonder, I did all that I know to do. I've been faithful. God, you know why? And, and we should never ask why. We just say, help me through it, Lord. But we do question. We do want to know why. So I wondered if you've ever just realized that it's the comfort of God that brings you through the crisis of your life. It's important because God's comfort is so much better than the law because the law punished so severely. Hebrews 7.22 says, So much God, Jesus, was made a surety of a better testament. We know that. Probably everyone here has read the book of Hebrews. We know it's a better testament, a better promise, a better everything. But do we really realize how much better it is than what the Israelites went through. Hebrews 8, 6 says, Now hath Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry because he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Better, better, better. Everything is better with Christ. In Deuteronomy 5 this morning, this is where the Israelites drew up to the mountain of God, and Moses went up and got his Ten Commandments, and they were there, and God spoke in an audible voice to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. And they heard his voice, 
out of the fire. And trust me, church, when they heard his voice, they believed. They so believed that they were so fearful that in verse 25, they says, you know, hey, let's let we'll obey. We'll do everything you say, God, but we don't want to die. So don't speak to us anymore. Verse 25 says, now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. The purpose of hearing the voice of God is to die. To die to self and to live unto the Spirit of God. And church, that way back in the eons of time, they said we don't want to hear the voice of God. And today, that is appropriate in Christendom today. It, they don't want to hear the voice. They, they want to be blessed. They want the good things of God. They want all that God has for them, but they don't want the crucified life. And the Bible teaches us in the New Testament where Jesus gave his life that it is a crucified life. So they opted out for silence. Could it be today for fear that the gifts of God are dormant in Christianity? I just toss this out for us to think about it. Because I know that when I sense the nudging of God, there is a fear. And I, I believe so much that we need to get over the fear and respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Because God wants to speak in our midst. He can speak in tongues. He can speak in interpretation. He can speak in exhortation. He can speak in music. He can do anything he wants to do. If we will have a desire for him to speak. You know, way back then they said, don't don't speak anymore. Your fire will consume us. That's the point, church. We need to be consumed by the fire of God until it burns out the dross and it alleviates the wickedness that the enemy has toward us and gives us the power and the anointing to speak words of life to one another. We don't have to be a great orator. We don't have to be a great prophet. We just have to be able to respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit when he nudges us and to be faithful to do that. There's a lot of prophesying going on at large. It's on the TV. It's on the. It, we we hear it on the YouTube, and a lot of it is good. Some of that I don't know about. I just put it back here, you know. But God wants it in the church. God wants the exhortation to come from people that we know, and people who live the life, and people that we respect, and people that we know that it is the nudging of the Holy Spirit. It's not a great prophet out here in La La Land, but it is in the body of Christ where we worship. God is still the gift giver, church. You know, Jesus is still operating the gifts fluently in the body of Christ if we will respond to the nudging of his Holy Spirit. John laid his head over on Jesus. He felt the heartbeat of Christ, so much so that he followed Jesus all the way to the cross and stood at the foot of cross and could have suffered martyrdom. And he wrote this in John fourteen twenty six, and he says, The Comforter, 
which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. He shall bring those things to remembrance. You know, and he says he's going to give us a peace, not the peace of the world. They can talk about peace in the Middle East. They can talk about peace in government. That's not the peace. The peace is the peace that comes down from the Father in heaven. It's the peace that passes all understanding. When you're faced with something that you do not understand, you do not know why, and it's grievous, and it's painful, and it's traumatic, and you just say, I don't know, but I know that God knows. And I put it in his hands, and he will pray for me, and he will give me a peace that passes all understanding, not the peace of the world, but the peace that comes straight from the throne room of God. It's hard today to walk in peace as we see the troubled and corrupted world. You know, how long will God allow our world to be overthrown with the wickedness that's prevailing? You know, it's even as Solomon said in the first scripture that I read, it says, on the side of the oppressors, there was power. Just let that sink in a minute. There is an oppression in our world today, and that oppression has power. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the works of the world. And church, we have to recognize the oppressor in the world, and we have to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit that can dominate the oppressor. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You know, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you can go out of this house today and not be troubled and not be afraid of the things that's going on in our world, then you will be experiencing the peace of God. It's hard to walk in the peace of God. Is not it hard? Because on every circuit you can go to prayer meeting and you can pray and you feel invigorated. You feel the anointing of God. And then you go out and you can feel the oppressor. But God is more powerful than the oppressor. Think of the Old Testament. They were oppressed. They saw the oppression, but there was no comforter. We have the comforter today. The oppressing power But the enemy is rampant. I give him no glory because he is defeated in Christ. But we have to recognize that the oppressor is working overtime. And it's up to us to fast and to pray and to stay in the word and to speak powerful words of encouragement and positive things because in our mouth is the power. If we speak negative things, if we speak we're always going downhill, I mean, we're going to find ourselves at the bottom of the hill. You know, but we have to speak in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have a comforter. We have a gift of God. His son paid the price for our comfort. We have eternal life before us. No weapon that's formed against us is going to prosper. They can take me today and kill me, but I'll be with Jesus. I'll be in a more powerful place in the presence of God amongst a host of angels singing the worship of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We cannot fear death. You know, Solomon was going over over all the seasons, life, death, the purpose. How many of us have ever thought that? We go through those things, don't we? We, You know, the older you get, you start saving. 
when you were young, you just did it all, did what you wanted, but then all of a sudden you cross a line there. I don't know where everybody's line is, but you cross a line and you say, I better save. You know, I better do something. I better better plan better. God has gifted us, you know, and he never takes away the gift. He never, ever returns and says, give me back the gift. But he gives us a gift of eternal life. He gives us so much. He gives us love, joy, peace, wisdom, the knowledge that we talk about in the Old Testament. He gives us forgiveness. Aren't you glad for the gift of forgiveness? I believe that God gave this message to me today. I believe it's time for us to have a stirring in our spirit, a movement, a shaking, a refreshing of God's gift in the body of Christ. For years, we just understood the gift is this, but the gift is so much more. The gift is the eternal life. That is greater than anything. The gift is Christ. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great gift, church. Solomon in Ecclesiastics. As we wind down this morning, you know, he says after he looked at everything, he looked at life, he looked at death, he looked at labor, he looked at all his wealth, he looked at everything, and he saw the madness and he saw the folly of it. Church, I think sometimes we need to see that. We see the chief things that we want to do in our life. We see our goals, our bucket list, all those things. But the greatest thing of all should be to honor and to worship the Lord God, to sing our hallelujahs unto the Lord for his goodness and his mercy and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Think of Christianity today who does not know of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Think of Christianity today that just goes and does their duty, but they don't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in their life. So Solomon saw all this. He writes about 12 chapters. And he writes about all the things he did, the things he collected, what he thought. He was a man of great wisdom, great treasure. And then he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Whole matter of life, death, labor, folly, madness, laughter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Fear God. What does that mean? Are we afraid of God? We reverence God. He's holy. He's just. He's true. We fear him. We, the devil comes at us and says, do this. And we say, wait a minute. I revere, I revere God. I cannot do that. You know, some can and some can. Some things God will convict you of and some things he will convict me of. But whatever he convicts us of, we cannot do. And God wants to have the Holy Spirit is the convictor. That's another gift down the line. But if we don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we'll, we will be like Solomon. 
we will think about houses and lands. We'll think about our life. We'll think about our purpose. We'll think about folly and fun. We'll think about all those things. And I'm not saying we can't have those things. I'm just saying that our thought process must be toward God, toward a reverent God. And there are some things that we can do and some things that we cannot do. And we need to rein in our spirit man and see what it is that God wants us to do and does not want and what he doesn't want us to do so that we can live in the fear of God. Jeremiah's lament, he weeps and weeps and weeps and there's a whole book dedicated to his weeping. Maybe you feel like you have a book of weeping. But he's dedicated to weeping before God. And he ends up his weeping with Lamentations 5.21. And he says to God, turn thou unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Turn, turn me to you, Lord, and I shall be turned. I cannot do it on my own. I cannot do it in my own fleshly ways. But if you turn me, God, if I desire to be turned, then he will turn me toward him. And he'll, he'll eradicate some of the oppression in our life. And he'll give us a holy, dedicated attitude toward God that we might burn with a passion for the things of God. He says, turn thou unto me, O Lord, and we shall be turned. And I like the last part of that scripture, which says, renew our days as of old. Wouldn't that be great if all of us who can hardly get around, if we just next Sunday the doors would fly open and we'd all just dance in here full of joy. I mean, we'd all be probably laying out on the floor a shock, wouldn't we? But, but God has an energy an inner inner energy for his people that will cause us to go in the midst of trial and tribulation, that will cause us to go when there's a weakness of flesh. There, there's an inner power because he lives in us, the Bible says, and he surrounds us. We cannot go on yesterday, church. We cannot go on Azusa Street and the revivals of the past. We have to have the fire pot in our own heart. That's what we need today. You know, the enemy is out to oppress God's people. He's oppressing them. He's driving them away from the house of God. He's driving them to, to, to mirth, to entertainment, and to the best preacher that's on TV instead of whatever. He doesn't have to be a best preacher. What it has to be is an anointing of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that feeds us, church. That's what we need. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has been lulled into a drowsiness. And it's time to fight the good fight of faith. I mean, if I say to you, fight, how many know what fight means? If your mate or your kid or somebody goes out of the boundaries, we know how to fight, don't we? We know how to have a discussion of power. Fight the good fight of faith. Stand your ground against the works of darkness. It's all right to uh, understand that is a work of darkness. And I am going to fight the fight of faith. I am going to war against this enemy with the word of God and with the power, with fasting, with prayer, with whatever it takes. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm not going to let the enemy take ground. 
Today, the enemy is fighting us through our children, through our offspring. He's fighting us through health. He's fighting us on every, every area. But God is greater, church. And we need to recognize that there is a gift of God that is more powerful than the works of darkness. And it's not just one gift, but it's a multiplex of gifts that God has given to the church. And I want us to recognize every single one of them. There should be joy in the body of Christ. There should be peace in the body of Christ. There should be wisdom in the body of Christ. Somebody might be having a problem, a difficulty, and the a spirit of knowledge rises up and you pat them on the back and you give them a word in season that causes them to have an exhortation and causes their fire to burn just a little hotter when they go out the door. It doesn't take a big powerhouse. It doesn't take a big burning bush. Maybe Moses needed it. And maybe we might need it. But, you know, if we'll just let the fire of Pentecost, the tongues of fire that came on that day, those tongues of fire burned in their chest. And they were never the same. They were never the same. They, they, they failed Jesus tremendously. They, they just failed him. They doubted. He told them and told them and told them. And they failed him. But on the day of Pentecost, he touched them with the tongue of fire. And it was more than just a tongue, church. It was gifts of God imparted to the body of Christ that we can stand in this hour of the oppressor and fight the good fight of faith and understand that all things are possible with God. And it doesn't matter if it looks impossible, but with God it is possible. You might say to me, well, what shall I do? In these fasting days of preparation, God wants to speak to everyone personally. God has personal things for his people. You know, it can be something explosive. It can be something simple. But it is a gift of God that he's given to you to do something for the kingdom of God. If it's a phone call when you encourage somebody, Linda Linda needs to be encouraged. She needs 14 phone calls this week. We're praying for you. We're encouraging you. We're uplifting you. You know, these are gifts of God that he has given to us. Gifts of concern. Gifts of discerning. Gifts of truth that God has given to the body of Christ. We need to go out of ourselves, see what is needed in the body of Christ, and fulfill it for the kingdom of God. Because there are hurting souls in our world today you just be real attuned to the spirit of god when you go in walmart and you will see a soul that needs you to smile at them and when you smile at them they might go you know they'll they look back and they might thank you for your smile and the door opens right there and you can be a witness for christ the greatest thing that we could do for christ is to be a powerful witness a witness with our countenance, a witness with our joy, a witness with our peace, a witness of overcoming power in this hour. I want to encourage you in these things. Read the Gospels. Read uh, Jeremiah, the Lamentation. Read Solomon. Read these things. 
get down to business. You know, if you feel that you need more love of God, read the Song of Solomon. You know, let's get into the Word of God with purpose. If you if you if you're not hungry like you should be for the Word of God, read Psalm 119. You you when you get done reading Psalm 119, you will love the Word of God. I went through terrible sickness, and they sang the Psalm 119 to me, and I listened every day to this person singing the song. You know, and when I went for my final checkup, even I went into surgery, and the tumor was gone because of the power of God. And we have got to get spiritual, not spiritual ooh-ooh-ooh, but We've got to get spiritual with the Word of God. And we have unsaved loved ones that we need to radiate the presence of God when they come in. If they're coming to your house for dinner, spend an hour in prayer and pray for every one of them and every need you can think that they might need in God. You know, and get ready so that that the presence of God is filling the house when they come to your presence. we got to do some undercover work, church. Remember that God gave his son a gift. Who of us will give our son or our daughter? Who of us will give someone that we love desperately? Thank God he doesn't ask us to do that. But he showed himself when he, when he sent his son to be the promise of the gifts of God within us. How precious I would leave this question with you today. How how precious is God's gift to us? How, how precious is it? Is it precious enough for us to forgo our own desires and to desire him above all things? God is tweaking us for the day of his coming. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your presence. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you indwell us and surround us. And Father, we lift up our families right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we send forth the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit to heal, to set free, to cleanse, to bring home those that we love so much. We ask that you bless the offering, the gifts that have been given to the church. We give you praise in Jesus' name.